first readings from Deuteronomy chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. And in some of the church Bibles, that's on page 180. Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Okay, the next Bible reading is Joshua chapter 8. So um, sit tight. And it is on page 214 of the church Bibles. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. For I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city and his land. You shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city and when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them they will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. And Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai, but Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai, with the valley between them, between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions 
all those in the camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel at in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them and they fled toward the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained for in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. As soon as he did this, the men in ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising against the sky. But they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the desert had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke was going up from the city, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. The men of the ambush also came out from the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle, with Israel on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased them, when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He hung the king of Ai on a tree and left him there until the evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body from the tree and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Well, good evening. In case you don't know me or haven't met me before, I'm Jeremy. 
I normally attend the uh, 10 o'clock service here, but I have the privilege of speaking to you from this passage today. But I want to tell you a little bit about some of my uh, experiences of late. Uh, my wife and I would uh, own a block of land up in Bowen Mountain, and we'd love to build up there. Uh, and the process we're going through, uh, due to our finances and whatnot, it means that we're looking at trying to get tradies ourselves. Uh, so we're trying to get quotes and, and whatnot. And I'm discovering this is an interesting process, and apparently I'm not alone in this, uh, where I ring a tradie uh, and they say, oh yes, I'll give you a quote for that, and then I never hear from them again. I ring them back again and then I can't get through, I send them emails, and it seems that there's a number of them out there that don't want to get back to me. And then I look at their cars as I ride or drive around the Hawkesbury and look in the driveways of these massive big blocks of land with these huge houses down a long driveway and see the tradie ute out the front. And I think, how is it that I can't get you just to come and help me with something, give me a service, and yet at the same time you seem to be raking in so much money that you can own this big expensive place. Am I missing something? It might almost feel like I'm missing out on the good life. Is that what's going on? That somehow my mediocre life here where I'm struggling to build a house, somehow I've missed something, I'm in the wrong career or something like that and I'm missing out on all these good things that others have. Well, I wonder if that was a little bit like the case for Israel as they come into the promised land. They've been promised great things and things are starting, starting to look good when they go into Jericho, they take that city, they win. But then they come to the next city, a little city called Ai, not that many people in it. They go up, they attack and get destroyed. They lose in battle. What's going on? This good life they thought they were going to get, it seems to be going and slipping before their eyes. They can't even take over a good city. In fact, as we know the history, hopefully from two weeks ago, when they went up to attack the first time, they had a problem. There was one man, one man in the whole nation of Israel who had done the wrong thing. One man who had seen the potential, it seems, for the good life, the material blessings, had grabbed a bit of it for himself. He looked, he saw, he took, he covered it up thinking, yep, I'll be all right, I'll get away with it. But the result for the whole nation on attacking this little place of I is disastrous. They lose. They thought it was going to be easy. They only set up the B team, only 3,000 troops, but they lost because of Achan. You can see the anxiety for God's people rising. The concerns that, oh no, What's going to happen? Have we left behind something that was better back in Egypt, maybe? But that's not God's concern. God's concern for them is their obedience. If you trust God, if you trust God's good directions for your lives, things will go according to his plans. So... Will Israel trust God? That's the question that's going to come before us today. Will they trust him? When they do trust him, or if they do trust him, what sort of victory will they have? 
And for us, will we trust God? Well, let's have a look first at Israel and see whether they do. Uh, Chapter 8 of Joshua, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. Already there's a difference here. A difference between what happened first time and what's happening this time. It's that God promises victory. Did you pick up on it? Not just, you will have it delivered, but for I have delivered it. It's, it's like it's in the past. It's already been done. Just go up. It's going to happen. Trust me. And it's not just the victory. It's the spoils of victory that are going to come their way. But did you notice the strategy hinted at the end of verse 2? A strategy, it seems, of ambush. Um, Now, from the rest of chapter 8, as was read uh, by James and Ruth, thank you for reading such a long section, uh, we see the strategy. It seems that what happened the first time, Israel went up to attack Ai, the people of Ai sent their troops out, Israel fleed and lost. So they actually decide to use the same strategy again, but with one little difference. They're still going to go up and attack Ai, but what they do the night before is send 30,000 troops around the back of the city to come in and take the city when the soldiers come out to fight that front sort of flank, I suppose you could call them. They're to remain there until the signal, the signal to attack. Now, amazingly, when you think about it, 30,000 troops, I don't know if you picked up, later on it says there's actually only 12,000 inhabitants in in this city of Ai. Really, all they needed to do was go through the front gate with 30,000 troops, surely you'd win. It almost seems unnecessary, but what we are seeing is God's plan. This is the way God wants it done. And we are seeing Israel be obedient And so what happens? The plan works. All the troops are lured out and chase Joshua and the Israelites. Now the Bible study group I go to, we're ahead of the sermon series and so we were looking at this going, what is wrong with these people? Like even if you send out almost all of your army, surely you'd keep some back to protect the city just in case. But no, the whole lot are lured out. Now as I thought about it, I thought, yeah, it is a bit weird. The best thing I can think of that might equate to it, imagine you've got two football teams. I'm sorry, I'm almost pulling on a Dave thing, aren't I? But I've got two football teams, right? And there's these two football teams. One is, say, coming first and the other one's coming last. And the one that's coming first has, like, the best playmaker ever who just controls the game and wins the game every time. But during the week, they find out that the playmaker's injured. He's not playing. Well, you can imagine that team that's at the bottom, they're going to put their best players on the field and hope that that week they can take home the two points and have the victory. 
the history of Israel coming to this point. They've escaped out of Egypt. They've caused all these terrible plagues in Egypt. They've defeated a few enemies on the other side of the Jordan. They now have crossed the Jordan. They've marched around a city for seven days, seven times, and managed to defeat that city. You can hear the people almost quaking in their boots. We're a bit worried. What's going to happen to us? But they've seen, they've already had one victory. If there's a chance to deal with this enemy once and for all, you're going to take it, aren't you? And so they do. All the troops come out. But what the people of I don't know is the power of God. The real power about to be displayed. Let's pick it up though and see what happens in verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward I the javelin that is in your hand. For into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward I. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. What a victory. When God does his work, the victory is quick and sweet. In fact, there's almost no real battle, is there? All that Joshua does, this seems to be the most significant thing that really gets mentioned, Joshua turns around, he stands there, faces the city of Ai and holds a javelin. It's not very powerful, is it? He doesn't even kill anyone, he just holds a javelin up. But it shows us, doesn't it, God's power to do what God decides to do. Now, next week, I believe, you're going to get a little bit of a talk about um, what it means in terms of judgment. But here what we see is God's judgment. Um, And there was another reading given today earlier, uh, thank you, Anna, for reading that, about the Deuteronomy speech. God's people are about to come into the land and Moses gets up and says, now, guys, when you go into the land, I'm not giving this land to you because you're somehow good because you're inherently wonderful people. No, I'm giving you this land because I'm judging the people that are there. I'm judging them. Their evil is so bad. So don't think yourselves great, but you are receiving the spoils. But isn't this how God works through his Son? We too don't deserve the spoils, but we receive it because of God's generosity towards us. We deserve nothing from God. But God blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God chooses us to be his children, not because we're great, not because we can boast in anything. God chooses us to be his, because he does. All we're called to do is to trust him. Just like the Israelites were to trust him and not grasp onto something and keep it for themselves, they were to trust and we too are to do the same. You know, I can't help but think of that 
story where the rich man comes out to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically tells him, go and sell everything, come follow me. And the man goes away sad. And then we have that amazing image of Jesus saying, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come into heaven. Now, underlying this is an expectation that if you follow God, you'll be wealthy. That things will go well for you somehow. But when Jesus says it's easier for that camel, the the disciples, well, they're amazed. If it's not about wealth, they say, who can be saved? Jesus looks at them and said, well, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. But Peter speaks up. He says, but we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replies, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You see, Peter gets concerned that he's given up everything to follow Jesus. But Jesus reminds them that they'll receive even more in this life, but in the life to come as well. But if we look at the example of Joshua, surely we realise it may not be immediate. God will continue to bless us, but he's not a genie. You can't just rub him the right way and hope that things will go the way you want. And I wonder if we struggle so much with this in our current culture. That culture that says, well, if I do this, I expect it now. I'm hearing now as I uh, hear about young people working in the workforce that uh, there's times where they go oh well it's not as easy as I thought so I'll just leave we we just expect it to come to us we just expect everything to come our way do we do that with Christ as well we're not called to Christ so that we might gain greatly in this world in fact firstly we're called to give up to give up everything and trust Christ. Did you notice Israel failed to do that? One person. And it infects the whole nation. Everybody is affected. See, I want to say trust Christ, not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of all. Don't try and take things for yourself. Stop looking to Christianity as that crutch where you might just gain some material wealth out of it and do well in life. Look at the cross and remember Christ has won the victory over death. Trust him. Be patient. Wait for him and his timing. But just in case you think that sin is not that serious, let's look at the consequences for the people of I. Let's pick it up in verse 24 of chapter 8. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, 
All the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He hung the king of Ai on a tree and left him there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body from the tree and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate, and they raised a large pile of rocks over it. God orders the complete destruction of Ai. All of its inhabitants gone. Evil must be eradicated from God's land and from God's people. It must not be allowed to get back in and just infect by one person at will. It must be gone. You know, Christ does the same, doesn't he? It's not like some have suggested that the Old Testament, we have this cruel, almost vindictive God, and then in the New Testament, the nice, loving, gracious God. No, there's judgment and grace, judgment in the New Testament as well. You see, I actually want to suggest that Christ's victory on the cross is inherently more powerful, maybe even more violent than what we're seeing in I. Have a think about uh, what he actually achieves in defeating Satan and death once and for all. And then just read, there's a little book that I've spent a little bit of time in over the last few years, the book of Revelation, where the destruction of the dragon, the beast, and even the prostitute, that great city of Babylon, is so complete. It cannot be allowed to continue. They go into a second death in a fiery lake. It's utter destruction. It makes the victory in I actually look a bit tame. But that is how seriously God takes sin. It's to be gone altogether. And so we as Christians, of course, are called to live under the victory that Christ has already achieved. To remember the battle has already been won. We're not to return to that previous way of life. We're to live God's good life now. Did you notice that even in the victory, whilst they carry off the spoils, the people of Ai are wiped off the surface of the earth? Joshua didn't lower his hand, his powerful javelin, until everyone was destroyed. They carry off the livestock and plunder. But it doesn't mention in the text the problem that actually came to the fore in Jericho. You see, Achan, when he took those things, he took some of the devoted things. Those things used for worshipping other gods. Here, they just take the things that are actually necessary for life, really. Livestock, some food. And plunder, probably some clothes, maybe some wood, things like that. Important things in life. We are called ourselves to bury that old life, aren't we? under a pile of rocks and leave it where it is. Don't take it with you. We still live in the world. We still need the things of the world like food and clothing and shelter. 
So there's a challenge there though, isn't there? How do we determine what might be right, what might be wrong? Into this surely must come our thinking. We notice with Achan, it was that thinking, I can cover it up and I can keep it for myself. But I think if we turn things around the other way and realise that what we have is a blessing from God, something to be thankful for, something that's not just for us but to share with everybody. Do you notice how that changes it a little bit? Everything we have is not mine, it's actually just something I'm almost renting, I'm just holding for a while before I give it to somebody else. It's not a power of things that we have to lord it over others, but it's actually something for us to give generously, a gift given, not our right, but something that we can give away. But if we do keep it to ourselves, if we see it as all ours, then really what we're doing is piling up those rocks, aren't we? Like they were piled up over the king. Let's be thankful and let's bless others with it. But finally, the end of this passage seems to link back to something that's of a much broader picture. The renewal of the covenant. Now just the other day, I happened to be uh, going through a Facebook feed of mine and as I looked, I saw this photo. It was the photo of the back of a car. It had a sign on it, some balloons hanging off the bottom. And on the sign were the words, Just Married dot, 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 50 years ago. That's a different sort of message, isn't it? Quite powerful in some ways to say that, well, even though we were married 50 years ago, we're still just married. We're still loving each other. We're still working it out. We're still growing together. In fact, it was actually my aunt and uncle who have been married for 50 years. And some other photos were posted of them over the years together, the two of them smiling, enjoying being together. I'm, not sh- I'm sure that not all of life has been easy for them. But here they are, 50 years later, celebrating, remembering the promises they made to love each other until death do they part. And here they are, 50 years later, still going, they haven't been parted by death. Something to be thankful for. And so God's people too are to remember the promises that God has made the covenant that God has made with them. And so we come to this scene between two mountains. In fact, they were told to do this, and so they do. Let's read it and see what they do. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied the stones of the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing those who carried it. The priests who were Levites, sorry, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal 
as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Now, just to make sure you know, uh, half were told to stand on Mount Gerizim and half on Mount Ebal because one side's blessing and the other side's cursing. And then to remind each other of the blessings and cursings. So afterward, in verse 34, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Oh, what a ceremony. It's massive. It's the ceremony of ceremonies, in a sense, to remind them not now, not what you had with Moses, but now it's continued with Joshua. And here you are in the land, reminding yourselves of the relationship you have with God. You know, I love church. I love coming and gathering with God's people to remind ourselves of the blessings we have in Christ. But do you notice how we don't just remind ourselves of the blessings of the good things? But we also remind ourselves of where we've come from. From the life of sin that had control over us. And how we've turned away from that. Blessings and curses. Once you understand them, the significance of what you have becomes more important. In fact, this should happen every time we open God's word. As God speaks to us, he is reminding us of who he is, who we are, who we are in relationship to him, and how much we've been blessed even though we are sinful. We need those reminders, don't we? In the book of Joshua, we're now up to about four uh, piles of stones uh, that have been left in various places to remind the people of what they now have. The significance of this pile of stones, though, it's uncut stones. Rough, it seems, but with something important engraved. The word of God. The commandments that were given to them. The law of Moses. Almost like a permanent reminder for them. Not on a piece of paper that might get washed away they had that but on a stone engraved in the difference for us is incredible because it's no longer on stone but God has actually written it on our hearts we have a covenant with God through Jesus a relationship where God has written on our hearts his law and made us his people and made amazing promises to us So how are you going in your covenant relationship with God? How are you going with your commitment to God? Is there a little sin that's just started to take hold that's actually starting to infect the rest of your life? Have you sort of just lost track of God for a little bit? Not that he's lost you, but that you've lost him. How are you going in being committed to God? We have the victory in Christ, but maybe we need that reminder. Maybe today is the day where you actually need to go, no, God, I need to commit stronger. 
maybe recommit your life. Let's be those people who trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have had the victory through your Son dealing with sin once and for all and bringing us life. Father, help us to be the people who trust you in everything, who are committed to the covenantal relationship that we have with you and who know your promises and who look forward trusting in Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.